to trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Hey, we really hope you've enjoyed worship at Galilee so far today. But hey, we want to just bless you and continue to bless you through the ministry of Galilee. If you have any questions or you want to get connected or get involved, find out ways you can serve, get you or your children involved at Galilee, just follow the links in the description because that'll be the best way to connect with us, reach out to us, or ask any of those questions. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the service and the message today. Pray that it speaks to your heart and just know that we're here if we can do anything for you. May God bless you. Whew. Try to come up after that song. <laughs> I heard that song this week and I wasn't sure if Stephanie was going to play it, but man, it gets me. We could end service right there. That's all you need to hear is what that song had to say. We're going to finish up this series called Anxious for Nothing today. I feel like this season uh, in, in the year normally brings about a lot of anxiety for people, whether that's because we're buying so many gifts for people or we have to go see so many family members that we haven't seen. We've got to catch up. Got to be asked those tough questions about why you're not married, when you're having another kid, whatnot. Those things can produce a ton of anxiety within ourselves. And so today, my goal is to help you to find peace. So before we get into God's word, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful. So thankful for the good news that you've given us. That through Jesus, we can have hope. Through Jesus is the only way that we can experience true peace. And, and you've done all the work. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is give our lives to you, Father. We thank you for the good news. And it's in this that we pray. Amen. I find myself doing a lot of research. I like to find the answer to questions. And whenever I was in college, they said, don't go to Wikipedia because that's not a good source. And so I didn't. But I'm a millennial, and I like to Google things. And so for this sermon series, I went to Google to find my answer. And I typed into the search bar, how do I find peace? And like any good Googler, I just clicked the first one, and I was good with that. Here's what that blog had to say. Gave us a, a list of things to find peace. It says, number one. Accept what you can't control. Pretty good advice. Number two, practice forgiveness. Number three, practice mindfulness and meditation. Number four, make time for yourself. Number five, keep a journal. And number six, get back to nature. I mean, you read this, you may read this list and say, this is some good advice. There was something that was unsettling about this list. And I believe it's the fact that the focal point of these things are all about the self. It's not about God. And so when we put God in the midst of these things as the focal point, it makes this list so much more beautiful. Let's look at this. Practice forgiveness like you've been forgiven. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, how can you forgive others? Practice meditation. 
When we meditate on God's word, we find true peace. Keep a journal. When we do that in the, in the, the mindset of writing down the things that God's doing in our lives, and when we go back and read them and see where he's brought us from, we can have true peace. And number six, my favorite, get back to nature. How beautiful is it to enjoy nature when we know the creator? When we have a relationship with him, nature is that much more beautiful. You see, without God as the focal point, we can never attain true peace. When I was 21, I had the opportunity to uh, go to India. I had just finished college, and this guy came to our church and was like, hey, come with me to India. So I was like, all right, let's go. And so for my mom, this caused a lot of anxiety. For me, it did, but I was 21 and was ready for an adventure. So our main goal in India was to church plant and to, to make, um, to equip preachers to preach. There was this one village that we went to. It was a tribal village. So they really have never seen Americans. They didn't have cars. Everything was horses and agriculture. And about five minutes before we got to this village, our translator leaned over to me and he said, don't be afraid. I was like, afraid of what? When you start something like that, the first instinct of mine is to be fearful. He says, well, there may be some guys that surround us with guns and ask a bunch of questions. Just stay quiet. I'm like, just stay quiet. Like, that thing doesn't happen back where we're from. And so we went to this village and we get out and there's no men with guns that surround our vehicle. We go to the elder and he brings us to this, this mud shack where we go in and we begin to preach the gospel. And now in India, when you start preaching, you're going to start preaching, let's say, 10 o'clock. But people aren't going to start showing up till 10.15, 10.30, 11, maybe even 12. They can, they get there when they can. And so we started preaching, and people started filling in. Now, remember what my translator told me, hey, there may be people with guns here. Every person that walked into that tiny little shack, I looked at them. I inspected them because I was fearful for my life. And we stayed there. We preached for a couple hours. Then the, the elder invited us over to his house. We preached some more because they were hungry for the gospel. We ended up going down to the river about half a mile and baptizing seven people that day. And I started to begin to understand what God was doing. He was trying to teach me, Brennan, you're not in control. It doesn't matter the anxiety that you have right now because you're worried for your life. I've got everything taken care of. Now there's more to this story, but I'm going to kind of finish that later on. But our big idea for today is that God is our faithful and steadfast refuge. And if we put our hope and our trust in him, we can have peace. Today's scripture, we're going to be in Psalm 62. And this is a psalm of David. And David, David kind of had a crazy life. We know the story of David and Goliath, how David slay, uh, killed this huge guy from the Philistine that was talking all kind of trash to the Israelites. He came and he killed them with a slingshot and a stone. He later then became part, part of Saul's uh, inner cabinet. He became close with the king, became really good friends with the king's son. 
all while he was promised to be the future king by God. Now, if you know the story of David, this caused some friction within David's life. Saul didn't like that he was going to become the king. Couldn't imagine anticipating this guy's going to take my place and he's not even of my own bloodline. And so Saul tried to kill David and David is on the run. And, and, and there's so much about David's life that if it were to happen to me, I would be fearful and anxious. Eventually, David becomes king, and he starts a family, and within his family, there's strife. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. One of David's sons, Amnon, sexually assaults his half-sister, and another one of his brothers, Absalom, finds out, and he's furious. And he expects David to bring justice to his sister, and David does nothing. Instead, Absalom decides he's going to take it into his own hands. And he's going to kill his brother. And so Absalom is sent away for three years. Eventually somebody comes to David and he's like, hey, you should probably bring back your son. And so he brings Absalom back, but he ignores him for a time. He's like, yeah, Absalom, you you can come back. He sends a messenger, but David never welcomes him back home. Eventually Absalom gets the attention of David, but not only David, He gets the attention of the people. He steals the heart of the people from David, and he eventually kicks David out of his own kingdom because he tries to kill him. David's on the run. And this is where this psalm is written. Could you imagine the anxiety and the fear in David's life? And he chooses to write Psalm 62 in the midst of the chaos. This psalm is classified as a a prayer for help, And I hope that it helps us to attain peace today. Beginning in Psalm 62, our first point is going to be that God provides rest. Now you're probably thinking, hey, Brennan, Nick talked about that all all last week. We don't need to hear about rest. Well, no, David thinks that we need to hear about rest again. In Psalm 62, verse 1, it says this. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. This word rest here can mean the silencing of my soul, the waiting upon God. Any of you like to sit in silence? I don't. (laughs) This past Wednesday night we talked about silence and solitude in my connect group, and I struggle sitting in silence. I like distractions, music, podcasts, TV shows. David's saying, silence your soul. Wait for God. Wait for God to do what? To be my salvation. This word salvation means deliverance or, or defending or victory. And so in God, when we rest in him, when we connect with him, when we wait on him, we have deliverance. How countercultural is that? My instinct says to do, 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 get yourself out of this situation. And David says, no, wait. Verse 2, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. David's going to use this phrase a couple of times. He's going to say, you alone, God. It's in nothing else that we find peace except in God. 
You guys like feeling rushed? Maybe you're getting, getting kids ready. You're like, we got to be there at a certain time. And so you're trying to get the kids ready. There's a lot of anxiety within the house. How do you handle these moments? Do you get frustrated? Do you enjoy the daily pace of life? Do more, be faster, get better? Because that's what the world tells us, right? Tells us that we should always be on this incline of production. I'm reading a book um, by John Mark Comer called um, The Elimination of Hurry. It's a fantastic book. And this is, this is a quote that he says, and he's talking about the way that we live our lives, the culture that we live in. He says, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Do you guys feel hurried, overloaded, busy? He says this leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And the cycle begins again and again and again. David's on to something. Resting is important. It gets us outside of ourselves to reconnect with God. Jesus practiced rest. And that should be enough for us. But this is how he practices rest. He does it in silence and solitude. We see oftentimes when Jesus, after he's healed a multitude of people, he'll get away. When there's been crowds just coming up to him and asking him for help, what does he do? He gets away. He reconnects with God. He prays. And in fact, when the disciples were looking for him one day, Peter was, was probably frantically looking for him. He's like, we got to go here, here, and here. We have a busy day. Where is Jesus? Jesus is found praying alone. Jesus also practiced the Sabbath. He spent 24 hours reconnecting with God, enjoying the company of friends. Jesus also lived a simple life. He didn't have much, and he lived a slow life. Jesus was never rushed. He took time to stop and heal people. He took time to stop and eat with people. He took time to get to know those who were hurting. This is all of indication of Jesus practicing rest. And I would say Jesus had peace, right? Even in the midst of times of hardship and trouble, he had peace. The second point that David makes is God provides hope. In verse 5 of Psalm 62, it says this, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. And so David is saying, this is where I find my rest in God alone, and my hope comes from him. My expectation, the thing that I long from, is only going to come from God. If you want peace this season, it's not going to come from anything except God. Verse 6 says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
Jesus is our defense, and we won't be moved if we're planted in him. Verse 7, upon God is my salvation and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. David is saying he finds his hope in the promises that God has given him. When I think about Abraham, I think about him as the model of faith and hope for us. Abraham was taken from where he grew up, and he said, "Ah, God said, I have this promised land for you. And in fact, you're going to be the father of many, many nations. There's only one problem. Abraham has no kids, and he's old. And so when Abraham and Sarah find out that they're going to have a kid, God tells them this, they laugh. They think it's a joke. They think it's funny. But no matter what, they still trusted in God and they left where they were and and they followed him no matter what. In Romans 4, verse 20 and 21, Paul says this, speaking of Abraham, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Even though the promise that God had given him may have seemed crazy to him, he persevered. He trusted. In fact, when God gave him a son, then God said, take your son to the mountain and sacrifice him. What in the world was going through Abraham's mind? Abraham packs up all the things for the sacrifice, the wood, um, the, the rope to tie, whatever it was they were sacrificing. And he tells his son, Isaac, all right, let's go sacrifice on the mountain. About midway through, I bet Isaac was wondering, what are we sacrificing? I'm the only one here besides my dad. And in here in Genesis 22, 8, Abraham answers him. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham could have said, hey, son, when we get up there, we're going to hunt us a ram or a sheep. We'll find the sacrifice ourselves. He could have relied on himself, but he teaches Isaac in saying, God will provide. The faith and the hope that we are to have is based on the faithfulness of God. But oftentimes we rely on ourselves. We'll have hope in ourselves and our own ability to be good people or in our own ability to get something done or in our own ability to not be anxious. What does Isaiah say about our good works? They're like filthy rags. They're useless. They're no good compared to the goodness and faithfulness of God. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about um, this great burden that he has in his life. And he says this, Why? We felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. He delivered us from so deadly a peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. Paul had hope that God would deliver them no matter what was going on. He knew that God was trustworthy. And so the the question that I have for hope is what provides hope for us? Do we find hope in whoever our president is? Do we find hope in a better job? 
Or if you're like me and struggle with, um, I find hope and knowledge and education. If I just know more, I can get myself out of this situation. I won't be more anxious. Maybe we just hope in our own ability and who we are. I believe David would point us towards God. And we would hope only in him. Which leads us to our third point, that God is trustworthy. Verse 8 of Psalm 62 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is a refuge to us. This word trust can translate to be confident or sure or to be bold. And so we can be bold that God will give us and grant us peace if we trust in him alone. Verse 11 says, One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. You probably know this, but I want to remind you. Did you know that God loves you? Let's think about that. The God, the creator of the universe, he could choose to have nothing to do with us. But yet, he loves us. This, this word here in Psalm, loving kindness or loving, it's this kindness that comes down from this, from this pedestal that's rightly earned. So God could choose not to love us, but he chooses to love us. He chooses to meet the needs of his creation out of the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of who he is. Man, that's exciting. That is, that is someone that I want to put my trust in. Going back to the story uh, in India, there was something at play that was even bigger than what I thought. I thought we would go to that village, we would preach, people would be baptized, people would, would hear the good news, and then we would go back on to the next village and continue on and on. Well, God was at work, and at the last stop, was the home village that we were staying in. And we got to preach at the church. And we're preaching and we offer an invitation for those who haven't accepted the gospel to come and to place their trust in Jesus. Now, kind of back up, we had the same driver throughout our whole stay. And honestly, I just thought he was a Christian. Who in the world would drive us to all these villages to hear these crazy Americans preach over and over and over again? But apparently he wasn't a believer. And as we finished and, and invited people to believe, he walked up. You see, God was at work. He would drive us to wherever we needed to be, and he would sit and listen. He could have stayed in the car. I could have, whenever we were at that village and I was fearful for my life, I could not have been uh, abrupt with saying, hey, the God that you believe in is a false God. The gods that you worship aren't real. The only one God that's real is the God of the Bible. I could have been silent. But God was at work in such a more beautiful way than I ever imagined. That, that this guy would hear the good news over and over again and come to Christ. I could have let my anxiousness get the best of me. I could have let the fear of proclaiming the truth get the best of me, but I didn't. 
And I got to enjoy and experience the beauty of how God works through somebody like me. Somebody who isn't even worth being up here, who in the sight of God, if I didn't have Christ, I would be a broken vessel. I still am a broken vessel. But it's because the beauty of Jesus that I could come before you and proclaim the good news. See, even when we don't understand what's going on around us, we can trust that God has everything in control. A couple of more practical points about trusting, about hope, about rest. Find that the, the hardest times to trust is when something bad happens or something hard is happening. So how do we in these moments push away the anxiety and run towards God? I think the first thing that we have to do is seen in verse 8. David says, pour out your hearts to him. Take your mind, take your heart and give it to God. Take your will, what you think is right, and hand it over to him. Be truthful in our prayers. If you read through the Psalms, David is an open and honest man. We should be the same. Second thing that I want to remind you of is that God has done magnificent things in your life already. God does this thing in the Old Testament where he reminds the people where they've been. In the Passover, the Passover was a celebration to remind them that they were once slaves and they were now free. God does the same thing in our lives. If you can recall back to when you first became a Christian and where you are now, you can see the difference in your life. That is God taking you through hard times and sanctifying you. And the last thing, and I think this is the most important thing that we can do to maintain peace, is to remind ourselves of the gospel. Too often we'll go day in and day out and we'll forget about the good news. I, think, I believe it was um, MacArthur that said, daily I have to preach to myself the good news of Christ. It's so easy to try to deal with our own anxiousness. But when we, we do that in light of the gospel, we know that God has everything taken care of. We have to know that he is sovereign over all and that he holds us in his hand. I'm going to end with this scripture from John 16. In John 16, what, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, something's about to happen. Something big is about to happen. He reveals the deity of God, of who he is. And the disciples finally see that Jesus is God. He ends with this. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace. What's about to happen on the cross for Jesus is going to provide the ultimate peace for our lives. And then Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have hard times. Things are going to get rough. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Oftentimes I feel like I need to overcome the world. And Jesus says, I've already done that. Just come to me. I want to leave you with that. That Jesus has overcome the world. 
that you don't have to do anything but place your faith in him, trust in him, and give your lives to him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If, if you've never given your life to Christ, you could do that today. If you want to become a, a part of this, this church and place membership, you can do that today. If you need prayers, you can do that today. I'll be standing up here, um, and if you need any prayer, you can come up as we stand and sing this song.